in my pocket. It's for later. I've been resisting using PowerPoint and props for a long time now. Today you get both. Matthew chapter 28. Today I want to talk about discipleship. And as much as it's going to be a bit more of a forensic analysis, if you like, of what discipleship is, a bit more, more in teaching mode than in preaching mode today, I guess. But I think it's important for us as speaking that we just talk about what discipleship is. I think we're coming to a season where we need to study it more, understand it more, and therefore put it into practice, rather than just bumble along doing what we've always done. Let's just appraise where we're at. Are we doing the right thing? You're so brilliant. And if not, let's see what we can do about it, just as individuals and as a body. And uh, discipleship is an important is an important part of our culture as a church, because not just because it's a good idea, but because Jesus told us to do it. Very interesting. Go and make disciples. That's where we're going to look today. But just while we were worshipping, I had a picture. There was a guy... He's a well-to-do, he's obviously very rich, and he's wearing a suit, it's tailored, it's a bespoke suit, and he's got the crystal clear, brightest white shirt sleeves, the cuffs sticking out. You know, they always have the, there's a half inch of white sleeve just sticking out with the proper, proper cuff links and this sort of thing. He's got, he's got the white man, he, he looks pristine, he looks rich, and on the outside everything's ordered, everything's organised, everything's in place, he's in control of everything, he's very good at what he does, and yet inside is empty. This is what God told me. This, this, this guy, you can see, he's empty. And as much as we can try and put things in place in our lives and try and be in control of our lives and try and be organised and try and wear a mask that looks okay as we present ourselves to other people inside, we can be empty. And I think part of what we were learning about just now during those songs was about we need to keep being filled, keep being filled with the Spirit, and we need to be reflective enough to know where we're at. And that's where discipleship comes in. We need to... Be willing to ask ourselves, am I growing? And if not, why not? And do something about it. The New Testament letters, they have one thing in common. They all talk about conduct. But they don't leave it there. They don't talk about conduct and you need to sort your life out and you need to do more of this and less of that. It's not actually about the outside. All the letters talk about our conduct with each other, uh, in, in the homes, when we're alone, when we're out in the world, when we're in the workplace, talks about our conduct and how that reflects what God has done for us. But it's not just talking about changing the stuff. Actually, every time those, new, those letters, when they're talking about con- conduct in the New Testament, it comes back to the heart. When you sort out the heart, the conduct sorts itself out. And when the conduct's gone awry, it's because it's a matter of the heart. And this is where discipleship comes in. So Matthew 28, if you're not already turned there, do you want me to close those curtains? Might help. Let me ask you a question. Who wants to grow? Good show of hands. Now, growing, maturing. Is it easy? No. Is it comfortable? No. Who still wants to grow? Oh, really? Yeah, good. Not too reticent, that's good. We are all called to grow. Listen to these verses. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Don't worry about turning to these. Colossians 3, 16. 
teaching and admonishing one another in a wisdom. There's loads of one another's we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on. We've only selected a few. But all these different one another's, teaching one another, admonishing one another, stirring up one another to love and good works, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. Does that sound like a bunch of isolated individuals without vulnerability and without sharing burdens? No. And so when I hear about people saying that, yes, I'm a Christian, but I keep my faith private, you're missing the point of what it means to be a Christian, for starters. It really upsets me, actually. I take it personally. Because it's like, that's my Jesus' bride you're talking about that you don't want to have anything to do with. Now, I've had enough of church. Yes, the church is not without its problems. We get that. But it's in learning how to deal with that in our everyday lives together. That's how we grow. Growing isn't easy, but we're all called to do it, and it's a good thing. If we are truly the family God, the family God is not a picture of the church, it's what we are. We are the family of God. If we are the family of God, then surely this is a place for maturity, for growth, from baby to adult. Surely it's a place for feeding, a place for sensitive correction, yeah? It's the family. Confess to one another, pray for one another, stir one another up, teach one another, admonish one another, preach to one another, instruct one another. All of these words, we could spend lots of Sundays on, we're not going to, they all just come under the banner of discipleship. Disciple one another. You may not find the phrase disciple one another in the Bible. In fact, the, the word disciple as a verb doesn't exist in English. It's a thing, a discipleship, a, a disciple, and there is discipleship. But two disciples, one another, we know what it means. Actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, it doesn't really exist as a verb. But that kind of expression, discipleship, to disciple one another, covers all these things. And that's what we're going to look today. We're going to look at uh, what it means to be a disciple. We're going to look at uh, four places where discipleship occurs. We're going to look at three levels of discipleship. And then we're going to finish in a prophetic picture. Is that all right? A prophetic picture, coming up later. So let's read Matthew 28, from verse 16. Familiar passage to many of us, when we keep needing to return to. And it may be, for some of us this morning, we may see it in a new light as well. Now the eleven disciples, this is after Jesus has died, risen again, and he's about to leave them with a legacy of what he wants them to do as his church as it grows. This is what he says to them. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is real life. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's just a couple of verses. Let me read it again. Just read what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me just pray. Lord, reading these verses we recognise that you have left us with a legacy, something that needs to continue. Lord, and you've given us the resources we need to do this, Lord, but sometimes we need to be able to review where we're at and sometimes we need to be sure that we're heading in the right direction. Lord, I trust this morning we'll know more of that as individual people, but also as your church, as Beacon Church, your local expression of your family here in this part of your world. Lord, I just pray. Holy Spirit, you might open our eyes, ears, hearts 
to what we need to hear this morning. And may we come away not just refreshed, but challenged, provoked, and spurred on. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, first of all, what's a disciple? Do we know what the word disciple means? Follower? Follower or a learner? It comes, it comes from the root, from the word to learn. And in this context, in the biblical context, you can get disciples in all sorts of different places, but in a biblical context, it's learning to fear the Lord and to follow his ways. The two Fs, fear and follow. That's what it means to be a disciple, to learn to fear the Lord and to learn to follow his ways. Two things we can sometimes get a bit, uh, go a bit awry on. First of all, note this. What do we call ourselves? Christians. The word Christian appears in the Bible three times. Three times the word Christian turns up. The word disciple appears more than 250 times. We might be called Christians, but we're called to be disciples. Interesting. And sometimes we forget that, I'm a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Actually, more importantly, what does it mean to be a disciple? That's what we should always be looking at. So that's one, one place we can get a little bit muddled in our head about. We're not called to be Christians, we're called to be disciples of Christ. Now, there's something else we can go a little bit around. It's on this particular verse here, verse 19. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. Where is the emphasis been normally? Very good. Normally, I'd sense more recently it's been on go. I suggest, go! Okay! We're there now. What do we do? The big emphasis has been go, and it's been right, because for many years the church has been hiding in a holy huddle in the corner, singing this little light of mine. We've got to be careful. So it's go! Okay! Jesus told us to. That's good. But actually the imperative in the original language, in the Hebrew that Matthew wrote and the Greek copies, the original uh, imperative in this is not on go, it's on make disciples. That's the crux of what Jesus is telling us. He's going, go and make disciples. That's what I want you to do. Not just go out there and tell them about me. Make disciples is the imperative. How do we make disciples? That then comes up in the going, the baptising and the teaching. How do we make disciples? Go, baptise them, and teach them to observe. Can we have the next slide up, please? Now, just need to understand. Our understanding of teaching is, I will give you some information, and you will remember it. You school children in a class. That's teaching. And our understanding of learning is that someone will give us information, and we'll remember it and get an exam right. Sometimes that is often our understanding in our Western culture of teaching and learning. In Jesus' day, nah. Look at the original Hebrew words for teach and learn. They come from the same root, lamad, to learn. What's the difference between the two words in Hebrew? One letter. One letter. They are so closely intertwined. The understanding in Jesus' day, when he's saying teach them to observe, what he's saying is, you have never truly taught until someone has learnt. And they have never truly learnt unless they're doing it. Does that make sense? This is not about imparting information. This is about transforming lives. Big difference. Big difference. So how can we review how we're doing in terms of discipling and Beacon Church? Well, somebody asked the question, are we teaching it? If we're teaching it, people must be learning. So then we can ask, are people learning? And if people are learning, 
they'll be doing it. So we need to ask, are, are we growing in the doing? If not, we're not learning properly. We may not be learning properly because we're probably not teaching each other properly. Does that make sense? It's this whole symbiotic relationship. It all works together. This is not about imparting facts. It's about transforming lives. Jesus did this on the job. He didn't sit them down in classes between 9 and 3 minutes of Friday. It was a lifestyle and he taught them on the job. Right, you see me do it. Uh, off you go. <laughs> you learn more when you're out there. Didn't he? He taught them on the job. Part of the problem that can prevent this in our Western culture is that the village is gone. If you know what I mean by that, we've lost the village. There is a, a Greek word that's throughout the New Testament called the oikos, which talks about the household, the family. So when you hear about the head of a household got saved and all his family with him, we're not talking about his wife and four children. We're talking about dozens of people. The oikos, back then, there were many household businesses. Most households, they, they were in and out of each other's lives for day, uh, days and days out, nearly every day pretty much, and there would be a family business, be it selling cloths or you know, pool and making tents or farming. But it would be a family business and everybody's in each other's lives all the time. And so this discipleship, passing on of, have you heard about Jesus and seen what he does and he prayed for me? We go, let's, let's, let's try and pray for someone because they're not very well. It just becomes this whole discipleship environment where they're just in and out of each other's lives and they're putting into practice and learning on the job together. The household was a bigger thing than we know it today. In our UK culture, there might be two, three, half a dozen of us who like to shut our doors and they'll see you an appointment. <laughs> Isn't it? Yes, I get my diary out, and between the hours of 2 and 2.30 on Wednesday, I'm free. I'll see you then. Otherwise, I'll shut my door. Don't we? we do it. I do it. We do it too much. And that's a, that's a big challenge for us when it comes to discipleship. Back then, everybody, and we see it in other countries still today, they're in and out of each other's lives all the time, and we're talking about lots of people. This is why house churches back then sprung up everywhere, because they were household churches. 60, 70 people of the same family all related to the same business carried on meetings together not just to get the work done but to praise Jesus and pray for each other. The oikos, we've lost it. And so discipleship isn't about programs, it's not about appointments, it's not about 12-step programs. Discipleship is about a lifestyle. Discipleship is about an attitude. And our attitude, I'd suggest more than anything today, is that we need to combat the loss of the village and there needs to be a commitment to regain it somehow. Thankfully, we have got some of that already in the church as we know it. But I think we can do it more sometimes. I know here at Beacon Church, we've got a lot more than a lot of our friends who aren't in the church have got. Some people have lost even more of the village. We've got something here. But let's make the most of it. But it will take an attitude and a commitment and intentionality to do something about it, to meet together. Not for meetings, but for discipleship. So I just want to look at, just very briefly, look at four places where discipleship happens. It's just partly from my experience, but it is in the Bible, so right. But also three levels of discipleship. Again, we'll see in the Bible as well. So the next slide, please. Four places of discipleship. This will just help us review where we're at as individuals and as a body. I just hope, trusting through this, we'll realise that discipleship isn't about me and Adrian meeting up once a fortnight to do something together for half an hour, an hour, over a coffee, and we're going to sort out some doctrine together and encourage each other. That is discipleship, but that's not just it. Discipleship is a holistic lifestyle. And 
for different reasons, our ability, our availability, work, family, home, whatever it might be, there can be a lot of reasons why we can't do all of these all the time. Not all of us can commit to one-to-one. Some can do that all the time. But just trusting between us, there is a holistic approach to discipleship. Does that make sense? So first of all, I've put personal on there, on your own. Because I suggest if you're on your own and you're not hungry to know the things of God, you're not going to be very intentional or committed to discipling elsewhere, are you? It's got to start here, isn't it? It's about reading the Bible on your own on a regular basis, praying, just that daily walk with him, seeking more of the Spirit, studying. When you read something in the Bible, I don't understand what that means. I'm going to go out and find out what it means. Ask someone who does, I'm going to pick up a commentary, I'm going to Google it. Bible Gateway's got commentaries. It's all free on the internet. Uh, but there's a desire to learn. If there's not a desire to learn when you're on your own, you're not going to get anywhere else with other people necessarily, are you? Just one question for that, are you hungry? If you are, you'll be doing it on your own. If you're not, ask God to help you. If you're not hungry and you want to be hungry, I suggest there's a little bit of hunger there. Done with it. Make the most of it. That's good. So I won't dwell too much on that. I hope that's obvious. But for, next one. One to one. Or this could be groups of three sometimes. Sometimes that's appropriate. This can be harder. In our busy lifestyles, we've all got a lot going on. It can be harder to commit to one to one. But where possible, it's a really good thing. What I suggest is looking for someone, if you haven't already, look for someone who is ahead of you. Someone you can learn from. But also, in time, look for someone who's behind you who can learn from you. Because one thing you need to remember, teaching, making disciples, isn't just for the teachers. This is for all of us. Because otherwise, if it wasn't just for all of us, the 11 disciples would still need to be alive today to continue teaching us. It's a legacy. It's a generational thing. We can keep passing it on to the next generation. We want to see our kids and youth raising up to be great leaders and leading the way for us. How can they do that unless between us we teach them? It's not just for Jenny and Laura today, for example. It's for us to do it between us. It's not just for the parents. It starts at home, primarily. But it's for all of us together, teaching these kids, teaching other people. Let me explain. River, uh, the um, Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are in Israel. Yeah? Do you know what they look like? You might have a map in the back of your Bible. You've got the Sea of Galilee at the top, lots of inlets, lots of rivers feed the Sea of Galilee. And you've got the big river Jordan comes out the bottom, doesn't there? And that river Jordan runs down to the Dead Sea. It then goes nowhere. There's no outlet to the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea is fed by the river Jordan because it doesn't feed out. It gets stagnant and it builds up such huge volumes of mineral deposits, it kills off any possibility of life. There's a reason why it's called the Dead Sea. It's got an in, but it hasn't got an out. The Sea of Galilee up in the north, on the other hand, has got lots of ins and it's got a big out. And it's full of life. Do you see the difference? We can get so puffed up on knowledge and study and doctrine and a lot of people go to Bible college and come up with a head full of stuff that's all over the place and they can remember everything. They haven't got a love for Christ. We've got to be so careful. We don't just get puffed up on the information. But not only that, if you are growing, you've got something to offer. And it's for all of us to make disciples. This one-to-one is more than just fellowship as well. Fellowship is hanging out. That's good. We need to do that. Friendship is good. Fellowship is just hanging out. Discipleship, I would suggest, is fellowship with forethought. 
Does that make sense? Fellowship with forethought. Asking before you meet up or praying for them when you're not together. But you know, I'm going to go and see my mate and we're going to have a good time. We're going to talk about films and football or whatever. But while I'm there, I just need to, maybe, must need to think and pray about how can I build him up? How can I build her up? And also, what can I learn from them? What can I learn from them? It goes both ways, doesn't it? Fellowship with forethought. If you want to know any more about meeting up with one-to-one or, or um, two or three people on a regular basis, you want some ideas on how to help that. I've got little tools, I've got books I can suggest to you, little things, little things that help, just to help be intentional and be provocative about it. But we'll move on because we're going to run out of time otherwise. But that's one-to-ones. Next one, small groups. If you're not in one, get in one. They're good. This is where we can regain our little oik- our mini oikos, if you like. It may not be 60, 70 people. This is one oikos, isn't it? But within this, we can have smaller groups where you get to know people really, really well. We can't all know each other exceptionally well. Some of you might not even be able to remember everybody's names today. That's a good problem to have, isn't it? It's the same we're growing. But you can get to know 8, 10, 12 people really well. Really well. Small group is more than just meeting together to talk about the sermon and have a lovely time and a cup of coffee and have a welcome section and sing some songs and then we'll go home again. Remember those evenings are something that so does. They aren't so in and of itself. They're small groups. But if we are intentional, if we treat it as more than just fellowship, if we treat it as fellowship with forethought, not just for those who are doing one of the worship, well, um, welcome worship or life application, but those of us who aren't, still come into the evening thinking, how can I build the others up? What can I offer? What can I bring to the table? What have I learned this week, maybe? And also, what can I learn from the other people? I want to learn. You come with a hunger. And it's here, it's in small groups, that Jenny and I have seen real flowers grow. Myself included. I never used to make eye contact 25 years ago. I was terrible. I have seen other people, real flowers, who... Again, it was, it was hard work getting conversation out of them, yet they are now leading a church. One person springs to mind, not including me there, but there's me as well. But someone else I can think that some of you know of. This is where disparate people learn to love each other. This is how we grow. This is where we see sharing of lives and healing in relationships. People's, people, we, we all have baggage. This is where things can get dealt with in a confidential place with your friends when you learn to make friends and learn to love one another small groups are more than just an extra meeting during the week if we are intentional about it it's in small group that I have seen people opening up about for the first time about addictions and I've seen people opening up for the first time about severe trauma in their life they came to a point where they were able to do that and I was able to see other people then minister to them in such an astounding way. It was, it was beautiful. And it wouldn't have happened if people hadn't been intentional about building relationships in small groups, you see. This is discipleship. It's powerful and it works only when we want it to. Now, small groups. And the other setting, larger gathering. This is discipleship. Don't forget that. This isn't just something we need to do because we're Christians, so we have to go on Sunday mornings. This is discipleship. This is about corporate praise and prayer. We build one another up. We edify one another. We have prophetic words for one another. And there's also the prophetic gift in the bigger setting brings direction. And we can weigh it as a body. 
rather than, what do you mean we're going over there? Oh, because God gave us a prophetic word and we've been praying it through. I don't know anything about that. It's because we haven't seen you. Be part of it. Be part of the conversation. Be part of praying things through, working things out together. This is about direction. It's about the steering of the ship. You know, the pulpit is the rudder. Just where we don't just let any, any person up here to preach. Not because we want control, but we need to guard where God's leading us as a church. So it's our, our job as, as elders to guard, to guard the truth. It's all of us to guard the truth. But for us as elders to guard the direction. Are we really hearing from God through the body? Not just us. But then we need to guard what's said from here because this is the rudder of the ship. You see, we come here for direction. And if we all come here and we see that direction together, we're all going in the same direction. This is discipleship. And Jesus exemplified all of these. Jesus, you can see throughout the Gospels, was regularly withdrawing to be on his own. He was hungry to spend time with his father. Quality daddy-son time. He craved it, didn't he? You can see him doing it. He was intentional about the one-to-one. He spends time with Peter. He spends time with John, his best friend. He was intentional about the small groups. He had his three, didn't he? He was intentional about the 12, but like our small groups. He was intentional about the 72, and he was intentional about the hundreds and the thousands. Do you see? It's discipleship right across the board. It's not just one-to-one. Just need to ask ourselves the question, how intentional am I about each of those? It's just a question. But it's always worth asking, isn't it? Fellowship with forethought. That's discipleship. Let's look at three levels of discipleship. What it actually looks like. Next one, please. I think he's already done it. Brilliant. Firstly, setting foundations. These are the basics of the faith that we should never let go of and never think we are above. This should be a continuous thing. We keep reminding ourselves, the more time we spend in our word, in his word, we recognise who we are. We get to know more of who he is. And the more we know of who he is, the more we recognise who we are in him. A father who's adopted us? Really? It's where we get to know our security, that we'll we'll never be snatched out of his hands. The more we read his word, the more that is confirmed. The more we get to hear, our, understand our calling in our lives. He has purposes for us. And it may, be, may not be some big TV ministry, but it could be serving in a way that impacts lives beyond more than you'll ever imagine. Just by serving on the quiet in the background sometimes. sometimes we're, some, some of us are called to be in the background. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But we all have a purpose in our life. But the more we read his word, the more we spend time with him, the more we understand these things. Setting the scene. This is the knowing. Know who he is, know who you are, know why you're saved, know how you're saved. And when you truly know who he is and who you are in him, that spurs you on to greater things. You're not bothered about what you look like. You just want to get on and serve and and preach Jesus and make disciples. It's the heart, it's the inside out. Remember. It should always be based in the Word. and You can only get based in the Word when you are truly alone, spending time with it, and then working that out with others. So 2 Timothy 3.16 will say, All Scripture is uh, God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We need to know His Word. Otherwise we can't do it. Setting the foundations. The next level, digging deeper. This is applying what we've learned. 
See? My friend Keith, I remember years ago, I was just like, I don't really know where I'm at in my Christian faith. And he said, there's three words you need to ask yourself. He just said, am I growing? That's really helpful. Am I growing? Compared to this time last year, have I grown? If not, why not? I think I have. I have a lot in different ways, actually. Thank God. But I can look back and say that. If not, there's other years when I've gone, oops, no. <laughs> I'm less committed, I'll be less involved and I'll be more obsessed with myself. Oops. I have to do something about it. Just ask those three words. Am I growing? Really, really helpful. We need to learn to be reflective as people. What's my emotional capacity? It's a good question to ask yourself out loud. Why do I get touchy when a certain person enters in the room? Why do I get really, really upset when someone asks me to do a particular thing? Why, why am I lazy when nobody else is looking? These are good things to ask. Why am I not lazy and I'm always wanting to do stuff? Why can I not stop and relax? It's a good question to ask yourself. Emotional capacity, spiritual capacity. Know your gifts. Know what you're good at. Do you know the best way to find out what your gifts are? Have a go at different things. It's easy. Because then you also know what you're not good at. That's fine. But have a go at different things. Ask people what your gifts are as well. This is the being. So we've got the knowing, this is the being. These aren't different stages. They should all be concurrent. They should all be happening at the same time. Continually knowing, but also continually, continually being. Put it into practice. So Romans 12, 2. David read this out last week. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be being transformed. It's a continual thing. Putting into practice what you've been learning. This is in the personal place, in the one-to-one, in the small groups, in the larger gatherings. And the third level is passing it on. The doing. Stirring one another up. Teaching one another. Admonishing one another. What did Jesus just tell us in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples. Like I've already said, that wasn't just for the teachers, for the special ones. This is for all of us to do. We're all part of the making disciples process. Do you have something to offer other people? I bet you do. We've all got experiences that we've learnt in Christ and how to deal with them. We can pass those on to people who are going through something similar. Or just empathise. Sometimes it's not telling them what they should be doing. It's just being able to go, oh no. It's later on out of that, the relationship, you can then do stuff together. You grow as you teach. If you don't feel you've got anything to offer, that's, that's fine. But grow in a quiet place until you've got something to offer. And the more God speaks to you, the more you will grow. It's for all of us. This is the doing. We should all be continuous. The knowing, the being, and the doing. Know, be, and do. Now, don't think this is just me, Steve, being clever, coming up with words. Other people use these kind of words as well when they're teaching about discipleship. But more importantly, God uses them. Ezra 7, 7 verse 10 talks about Ezra, he devoted himself, he set his heart on studying, studying the law, doing it, and teaching it. Studying, knowing. Doing it, being. Teaching it, doing. See? Ezra was always in, always in this practice of knowing, being, and doing. But turn to Colossians chapter 1. There's another example right here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. 
see the knowing being and doing right here. This is Paul to the church, to all the church in Colossus. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See that again? So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, knowing, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being, bearing fruit in every good work, doing. There it is. Knowing, being and doing. There's this process that should continually be happening. Happening, And the more we get to know about him and the more we put it into practice, the more we'll end up making more disciples. It's a continual cycle. Do you know what this is? Ah, kaleidoscope. Go on, the next picture up, please. Paul, it's quite pretty. Nora's, don't tell her. It's very dinky, it's lovely. I was praying with um, Kev Jones about a year ago. We were in, Kevin Jones is one of our church planters out in Helsinki. Some of you have met him, he's been to preach before, hasn't he? Him and Lydia. Well, in Helsinki, they're doing good. It's starting to build. It's exciting times out there. And we FaceTimed each other uh, about, about a year ago. And we are just chatting and we ended up praying. And while we were praying, Kev had a prophetic picture for us as a church. I haven't shared it. I've sat on it because I was a bit confused what to do with it. So I've been waiting and praying it through. And now I get it. He said, I can see a kaleidoscope. A little bit pale, but... I can see a kaleidoscope. He said, and what he says, what I believe it's referring to, God's talking to you about a kaleidoscope of discipleship will break out across Beacon Church. We prayed it through a little bit and he left it there and I went away thinking, that was nice. Don't really know what to do with that. But the more I've been thinking about it and praying about it since, and the more I've been doing this and then realised quite what God's saying through it, I realised this. What is a kaleidoscope? So all these little coloured beads or little bits of coloured glass... And they make a pretty pattern, don't they? Depending as you move it around, where they fall. And then there's mirrors in there, aren't there? And what do they do? They reflect them around to make an even greater, more beautiful, intricate pattern. And whereas this is about reflection. This is about replication. What is discipleship? It's about reflecting Christ, about replicating this generational legacy that he's already left us with. This discipleship Legacy, it becomes a repeated refrain. It's not just one single melody, it's a whole orchestra of harmonies. Do you see? But what I love about it is one more thing. We're not just reflecting ourselves. Might as well just be a cult. We're not reflecting ourselves, we're reflecting someone, aren't we? What makes a kaleidoscope work? Movement. There's movement, it's a fluid thing, it's organic. There's movement. We're always going to have people coming in and coming out. But at all times, there should be this kaleidoscope of discipleship where we're actively seeking to ask, how can I build you up? And what can I learn from you? But there's one more thing that makes a kaleidoscope work. It's the light. It's the light. Without the light, you wouldn't see anything. We're not replicating ourselves... We're passing on the legacy of Christ. 
We're preaching his good news. We're filled with his spirit. We should be being filled with his spirit. There is the light that shines through. But the more we seek more of it, the more we seek to be filled, the more we're asking, how can I build my brother and sister up? What can I learn from them? What, God, what can I learn today? Teach me a lesson today. I want to grow and then I want to pass it on. There's discipleship. It's about seeking that light that shines through. That's what I'm going to say today. I just think it's important that we ask ourselves where we're at. Am I growing? Good question. Am I intentional about my personal discipleship? Am I intentional about passing it on? I'm not going to get to stand. You can stay where you are, stay seated. Let's close our eyes. But I think we just need Holy Spirit just to just to mark this moment. If you want to, you can put your hands out, you can sit where you are. We'll just ask, we say, Holy Spirit, will you come and illuminate on each one of us what our response to this morning should be? We heard lots through the songs. While we were singing, we heard prophetic words. Some of us may have been more provoked than others during that time, but you spoke to us. Even right now, from what we've heard about what it means to be a disciple, the different places of discipleship, the different parts of discipleship, Lord, we just ask, I ask, what's my weak spot? Where would you like me to be more intentional about that I might grow? Where do you want me to grow? What is it you want me to pass on to others? Lord, we love this legacy of fellowship with forethought to continue to grow. Lord, but it's got to be in you and for you. Otherwise there's no reason. Lord, may you truly be the light that shines through us. All us individual coloured beads. Lord, may we truly let you shine through us, reflect from us that we might grow more and more in your likeness and, and pass it on to others. Teaching, instructing, spurring one another on. But Lord, just right now, may you tell us, each one of us, where it is we need to get more involved, more committed, pressing deeper but to seek more of you in the areas where we're weak just come speak to us we pray that you might be glorified with this majestic kaleidoscope of colours that shines for your glory in this town in this present time Holy Spirit come Lord, we give these things up to you and we just pray you remind us to keep being intentional about our fellowship. Help us to do that. Help us to write notes all over the house if we need to remember that way. Whatever it will be, but just teach us, we pray. And in the weeks to come. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone.
Teas and coffees are now served for some fellowship with forethought. Do enjoy. Thank you.